We're going to read tonight uh, what is considered to be the most famous verse in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible tonight, or if you don't think you could find it, the verse is to your right, to my left up here in the front. It's John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's called the Gospel in a Nutshell. Uh, but it is probably the most translated verse in all the Bible. It's probably the most memorized verse in all the Bible. And I would say you could sum up all 66 books. You could pretty much sum up all 6,000 years of human existence in these 25 words. So, if you would, uh, we'll probably all say it together tonight. The verse that is to my right here, we'll just read it and we'll quote it together here. John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. Let's say it one more time. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just so I guess, uh, I just got to make myself clear sometimes. Sometimes you get to the end of the message and maybe you weren't maybe just... Uh, Maybe we're in tune with what was being presented tonight. So when we speak about salvation tonight, when we speak about it for an individual, that they could be saved tonight, we're not speaking about a reward for the righteous, but a gift for guilty people. And maybe tonight, if all you could think was if you could mend some relationships, if you could change maybe an attitude, as it were an adjustment in your personality... The gospel is not talking about putting a new coat on a man, but putting a new man in the coat. So it's different. This is not a self-help. This is not an addition to life. This is life itself. Giving to you something that you didn't have. And and in case maybe tonight you thought you would get a dissertation on this book. I can't possibly tell you everything about this book tonight, but I can guarantee you this. You could go away from this meeting knowing the author. Jesus Christ. And you could know him, a relationship tonight, because I'm talking about a man who is living. And so as we look at this verse, uh, just a couple things that I'd like to talk about tonight. And they have to do with this verse, and I'm going to talk about them in the sense of of what we would say is just measuring. I want to measure the love that God had. I want to measure, we always get caught up with this word. And in fact, a man last night who was talking to me, he says, what does that even mean to believe? We're going to measure, what does it mean to believe? And finally, we're going to measure what would be the results or the consequences of this verse. Because there's a word here, it says perish. Quite a severe word. So I'm just going to take a a time to measure those things. And I'll, I'll just add this. All the measurements that we'll do tonight can actually be set back and can be, can be found in a measurement of one day on a Friday afternoon in the year 8033 from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. There was a man who was suspended about two feet off the ground and there he died for your sins. So if you can measure your sins tonight in any quantifiable number, they were all placed on him. And you know what? That's true if you leave tonight believing it or not. That's true tonight whether you accept it or not. Christ died for your sins is a truth that you can do nothing about. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what you believe. Christ died for your sins. It doesn't matter what you've said or what you think. 
Christ died for your sins. That's an amazing truth in the gospel tonight. As I'm not asking you to, to all of a sudden, you know, if, if you believe that it, it would add something to it. No, it's true if you believe it or not. And so when we come to this verse, I'm just talking about an actual day in history. And if I could characterize it, I would say we've all had bad days, right? We've all had, you would say, you know, sometimes they outnumber the good days. And, and, and you can see what it does to a human being when that happens. But we've all had bad days. But collectively, our worst day in 6,000 years of history was that Friday afternoon when we nailed our Creator to a cross. That was our worst day. Nothing will ever match it. Nothing will ever compete with it. It is the worst day that heaven and hell and earth have ever known. And yet, unlike your worst days, unlike your bad days, from this bad day comes the greatest offer that I could ever tell you about. And that's that God loved and God gave in order for you to be saved. In order for you to have your sins forgiven. The synonyms go on. If you want peace with God, if you want forgiveness of sins, if this is something you've ever considered or ever wanted, it's offered because of our worst day. Because God took what was the worst turned it into something that we will never cease to be amazed with. That God became a man and died at Calvary. And so I just want to look at these things tonight. Sometimes when we come to these first few words, we talk about measuring things and we say, within us, and I would maybe, I don't know, ask you to agree or to disagree, but in us, there is a void. We know that because we search for things in life. We search for satisfaction. We search for things. Anybody here who's, who's, who's been through life as an adult or even a child, you would say, life is consumed with filling this void. And sometimes we don't know its size. And sometimes we don't know its shape. And sometimes we try effortlessly. And sometimes with a lot of effort to fill a void that you'd say, sometimes you get to the end of life and you'd say, never filled it. Reminded of a story of a couple of boys who went to a second-hand store and, and bought this awfully large, odd-shaped case. It was lined with velvet, and there they did. They took it, they put their fishing poles in it, and the hooks ripped through the velvet. And they took it, and they put their bats in it with the bases and the balls, and they, they would bring it from park to park. And then when they went swimming, they would take their shorts, and they would, they would throw it in there with everything else. And you'd say, it just was used for everything. And... and Never knowing what it was made for until they passed the same shop and saw what looked like a trombone in the window. And all of a sudden they realized, that's what it was made for. That's what it was made for. Sometimes you could spend your whole life trying to fill a gap with anything and everything. And it seems to be that people die with ever out realizing that gap is only filled by one man, Jesus Christ, God's Son, God gave. God gave a son. And so when we come to measure this love, well, when I look at measuring this love, it tells me this. God loved the world. God loved the world. Excuse me for maybe repeating a story I've said many times, but it's, it's one of those iconic moments in my life or most memorable things. But when I think, when I hear those words, there's not a time I don't think of this story or this event. When I say God loved the world, my mind takes me back as a family. Andrew and I, I could have maybe been eight. Andrew was six. And our parents took us into Madison Square Garden. I think it was to see uh, Ringling Brothers. It's now defunct, so good thing they took us then. 
And I remember there as we passed through 33rd Street, I think we make a stop into Times Square there just to see it. And when we went to 42nd Street there, there were, there were five men. They were on the corner of 42nd Street. They were on milk crates, just those little milk crates. And, and there they were. And, and the men on either end of those milk crates, they had Bibles in their hand, which surprised me. And the man in the middle, he was, he was almost, I would say he was yelling. You might say, I'm yelling tonight. But he say, he was yelling at the audience. He was just giving it to them. And, and we sat there. I remember my mom and my, my brother and I, we stood back a ways, right? Because my mom was like a good mother was shielding the innocent and the young and my dad went right up to the front he wanted to he wanted to listen and these men began to say they said god loves a particular kind of person and god loves a person and we'll tell you the qualities of that individual what they're doing and what they're saying and even maybe what they look like and where they were born and they said you want to know who god loves we'll tell you exactly who he loves And they began to itemize it and to list it out from skin color all the way down to nationality and and, and things that they've said. And they went on. And my dad said, because I just have uh, one question. He says, can you read John 3 and 16? And the man in the middle goes, you heard him. Read John 3 and 16. And the men on the other side, they read in unison. One on this side and one on that side. They opened up their Bibles, just little Bibles. And they said, and they began in unison, for God... So love the world. And he stopped him. And he said, he said to my father, he said, you think that means everyone? <laughs> I was only eight years old. For my own health, I had kind of hoped secretly that it didn't mean everyone. But even at eight years old, I know it meant everyone. Because God does love everyone. Without merit, without earning it. When I look at this love, when I look at this, this sense God loves people in heaven with the same amount that He loves people in hell. If you could show me an ISIS member, He loves them the same as the person who volunteered at the food pantry last Saturday. Without difference. Without any difference. God's love is not something that we have earned. Sometimes we do that. You may have a son. You may have a spouse. And you may ask them, why is it? Or sometimes, you ever had that? You ever had a child to ask you or to say to you, how much do you love me? You, 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 you'd search for words. You, you'd do anything to be able to, to encapsulate it and just something succinct that would mean something to them. And we look to do that, but as soon as you give someone a reason to love you, what happens when you lose that reason? What happens if you tell your son to love you because of your ability to play ball with him? What happens if you ask your spouse to love you because of your sense of humor? What happens when you lose that? Is there still love? You see, my friend, God loves us and He's never asked for a cause. He's never asked for a reason to love us. He loves us without reason. You say, that's, that's, such, a, that's such a cheap love. No, no, my friend. That's the most valuable love that ever exists because you know what? It never changes. There's people who have been in hell for thousands of years. God still loves them. There's people who are atheists tonight and they would despise God and everything about Him. God still loves them. And so the verse comes across clear and it says, measure, measure God's love. I never measure it by who He loved. I could. And I've sought to show you that you could. You could say, what a tremendous love. We say with the kids sometimes. We say, we say his, God, his love is so wonderful, so high, you can't get under it, over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get around it. We say, what a wonderful love. But you know, I measure it by what He gave. I measure it by what He gave. 
Because you would know as well as I would know that when you look at love, love always says this, what is love willing to give? What is it willing to sacrifice? There are people in the meeting tonight, and they're engaged, and unfortunately for men, for thousands, or maybe only for 50 years actually, love's expression has been in a little piece of coal that has sat underneath the mountain for a thousand years, and you've got to spend two months' paychecks, right, for it. And we put a ring on someone's finger, and we say, this is how much I love you, baby, right? You say, two carrots, three carrots. You'd say, does that really show how much? No, but, but that's the best we can do. God didn't do the best that he could do. God gave everything he had. God didn't do, you would say, is that the best that you can do? I know a man, and I did, I did a job at his house, about five or six towns from here. And then he lost his wife in the war over in the Middle East. And he had no kids. He lost his wife. I know a woman and her husband. They live up in Boston. And they lost their son. She gave her son. And if you were to ask them, which I never did, it's almost crass to think that you would. If you ask them, they gave, they gave him, he gave his wife, or she gave her son. If you were to ask them, you gave them, knowing that you probably could lose them, would you want them back? A thousand out of a thousand times, they would say yes. You ask a mother who's lost a son overseas, you want him back? Yes. You ask a man who's lost his wife through, through something that has happened in a war, you want her back? Yes. You ask God the day that his son was crucified at Calvary, do you want him back? The answer a thousand times over is no, because he wants you back. He wants you back. And so God loved, and God gave. And God loves in this way. He loves me, and He gave His only Son. And the Bible brings it down, because you might look at this tonight, and you might look to the guy to the left of you. And you look to the guy to the right of you. And you look to the person behind you. And your mind might swirl to a, a good dozen under individuals that you could be thinking about right now and say, isn't it great that God loves us? But in the Bible, it just brings it so precisely right down to your human soul. And it says, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you were the only person who ever existed on earth, God would have sent his Son to die for your sins. Take that in. You're the only person to ever walk this globe. God's Son would have still come and died for every one of your sins. God loves you. If I could just get that across to you tonight, that love, you say, but Dave, He loves everyone. He loves them without reason. And He has demonstrated His love. As we read in this verse here, He has shown it. And that He has given His Son, you say, what's the difference maker? What changes this? Is everyone going to heaven? Is heaven going to be full? Is hell going to be vacant? But whosoever believes in Him. A lot of times people like to measure belief. A lot of times people tell me that. They, they, they have somehow find a way and they could say, I, I sometimes think that people have told me, and a guy told me this week at a tent, he says, listen, he goes, he goes, we all have our different gods. We all have our different setups. He goes, and it's just a matter of believing. Just believing to the amount that would get you, would earn you that right. I was doing a job over here in Alpine, New Jersey once. And on top of their septic tank, they had placed the statue of their god. 
right? Odd, odd place to put them, right? And I remember I knocked them over by accident. I was just your... You don't want to offend anyone. And the husband saw it, and he goes, oh, don't worry about that. My wife bought that at Michael's. You know, and I said, you know, sometimes we just take it like that, that we can make a God out of sticks and stones. Sometimes our God could be something so ridiculous. And yet you'd say, it's just a matter of faith, Dave. I'll go, and I'll make my trek. I'll go and I'll worship before some plastic statue. I will go and I will revere an altar somewhere. I will go and I will pay my homage in front of something that is as dead as a doornail. I invite you tonight to a God who gave a living son. And he says, believe in a living son. In someone who died for your sins. Who was buried and rose again. This is not a stone that gets turned over. This is not a certain amount of plastic that is formed into a person. This is a real, living individual who loves you with all his being, who died for you at Calvary. And sometimes when we're asked to measure it, we measure our belief. Man, my my friend tonight, don't measure the belief. Measure the man. Measure the man. Because if someone is willing to take your place, If someone died instead of you, if someone died for your sins, never will I measure my belief. I always measure the man who took my place. I look at him, the Lord Jesus Christ. I look at what happened there. I, I, you know, I, I sometimes just tell people that. They, they say, if I only had enough faith, Dave. You say, if my faith grew. And some people, they, they tell me about another book. And they tell me about another faith. And they say, once I've gone through it, I'll strengthen my faith. Your faith is worthless. Unless it is in a person who can remove the sin from your soul. Because that's the problem. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm not talking about somehow making amends with the neighbor next door. Somehow making the family stick together stronger. Not looking to turn over a thousand one regrets. I'm asking you tonight. Who is it that can remove the sin from the soul? Not me. You come to realize it's not you tonight. You look at this, and you look at this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, He died for my sins. You say, if it was if it was a matter of me trusting in my merit, if it was a me trusting in my works, if it was a matter of me doing something, and, and I know that what I'm saying to you, it has to ring a bell. Because if you've been to any religious group, if you've been to anywhere that claims to have some type of a a secret past to God, they all tell you, and they all say to you, do your best, and hope to get to the better place. Call it whatever you want. Paradise, Nirvana, Heaven, Emmanuel's Land, the place upstairs. They all tell me, do your best, and one day, hope for the best. You wouldn't vacation like that. Why are you staking your eternity like that? No one goes to Newark Airport and stands in front of Terminal C at the luggage claim and says, let's just hope for the best. Hawaii or bus. No, my friend, no. You have a ticket in hand. You have your passport. You say, you know. You know the destination. It's printed on a ticket. Someone has authorized it. No one does that in life. Why do we do it in eternity? And you say, does someone really stamp passports on earth? Does someone really hand out tickets for heaven? Yeah, my friend. My passport was stamped to heaven because Christ died for my sins. John 14 and 6 says this. 
Christ said in answer to this question, how do we know the way to heaven? He said, I'm the way. I am the truth. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. So if you're wondering how much you have to believe tonight, you're starting at the wrong end. If I asked you, I asked a man in the tent last night, he had a lot of things to say, and they were good things, great things. But he said to me, he said, Dave, he said, it's almost, he said this to me, he said, Dave, it is obnoxious to think that you could tell God, you're no, you're going to heaven. He goes, it's obnoxious. And I asked him, I said, who doesn't go to heaven? Answer that for me. I said, I've been to too many funerals. I've seen too many people die. I said, tell me this. If I've been a fool my whole life, tell me who doesn't get there. Just tell me who it is. Because if you can tell me who doesn't go, then I'll be able to tell you who does go. Who doesn't get to the place where the streets are paved with gold. Just tell me who doesn't make the cut. Who has not measured up. And he thought about it for a while. He says, I can't tell you that. And I said, I can. You know who never gets to heaven? People who deserve it. People who deserve it never end up there. I said, I've never deserved it. A thousand years from now, I'll never deserve it. And he says, well, how could you ever know? I said, because of those last words. Should not perish, but have eternal life. I told him, I said, go get me a hundred people from Wyckoff and Franklin Lakes, line them up right here in the parking lot. And if I ask each one of them, what does it mean, should not perish? I said, a hundred out of a hundred, I'll get the same answer. Should not perish. Why? Because if you were to look at the first words in our verse, for God so loved, and to take the effects of it all, to say someone could be forgiven, what is it that brings the two together? God's love and to be forgiven of every single one of my sins from day one to the last day I breathe. What brings it from for God so loved the world to should not perish? What takes me from for God to forgiven was a son who was forsaken at Calvary. That plus nothing. That plus nothing else. The only thing that separates me from knowing my sins forgiven is seeking to know it myself, to do it myself, to somehow be able to achieve it, to earn it, to deserve it, instead of to believe it and to receive it. You said, Dave, it's too simple. Listen, my friend, if God gave everything, why would He make it complicated? If God gave everything He had, if someone asked you to give your son, what would you want but a simple thanks? And yet, look what we've done in this world. Seven billion people are just finding to some, find some way, some other way, something else to fill the void other than God's Son. So I ask you tonight, God loved and God gave everything. If it's a matter of believing that and being forgiven of every wrong you've ever committed, I would take the words on your lips right now. If you're anything like me, would be this. Who would say no to that? What have you had to lose? I, I, I just want to know sometimes. What do you stand to lose? 
by putting your trust in the one who gave everything for you. If everything died for nothing, and the nothing was me, and the everything was God's Son, tell me, my friend, what do I stand to lose by putting and staking my eternity in that man plus nothing? What do I stand to lose? I stand to lose my pride. I stand to lose my achievement. I stand to lose a lot of me. And I stand to lose my sin. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is not a message today for bad people to become good. It's a message for dead people to become alive. It's a message that God comes out and says, the same God who breathed air into your lungs can remove the sin from your soul and give you life that no man can take away from you because God gives it. And when God does something, He does it to the fullest and the completest sense. And when God gave His Son, He gave Him for you. He gave Him that you could know peace with Him in this life and be guaranteed of it. You say, how? Because the Lord Jesus said these words. Before Dave Zudem ever said them, and before Matt Hebert ever believed them, and before you find people ever quoted them tonight, the Son of God said them. And He's the Son. And so you're either taking Him at His word, or you're taking anything else. And so tonight I ask you to take God at His word, to take God's Son, the only man who died in your place and for your sins, and for you to have everlasting life. Great to see all those that are out tonight. I know it's a little warm, I know it's a Friday night, and we're very thankful just to see you here with us. Uh, just three readings tonight. The first reading is in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to track along, the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now there's a lot of truth in Ephesians in chapter 2. We can speak on Ephesians in chapter 2 for the rest of our life. But I just want to look uh, with eyes of faith, with an understanding of the word here, at just verse 8 and verse 9, that by grace you're saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now let's look in the book of Luke, please. Luke in chapter 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 18, and verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, a man here is speaking to Christ, he's asking a question, and he says, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Now, Christ is testing this man. Verse 20, Thou knowest the commandments, 
Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, he responds to the Lord, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, this man, when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And the question in verse 26 then is, Who then can be saved? And we'll look at that with God's help in just a moment. The last reading is in 1 John. 1 John, please. In chapter 4. First John in chapter 4 and verse 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I was with a dear man in Mexico uh, one time, at Hermosillo, Mexico. This man was uh, new to us, we're speaking publicly, and he asked us, we asked him to, to speak in the gospel, and he said, uh, I'm not really sure what to speak about, I don't have many notes, and I asked him the question, I said, what's your favorite verse? He said, First John 4 and 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I said, can you explain that verse to an audience? And the, the kid, he was just a kid, I say kid, he's 19, but he did an absolute fantastic job. I won't even touch the, 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 at the level that he got, but the point in that particular verse for you and I to understand is when we consider the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we consider this verse that Brother Dave just spoke to us about, John chapter 3 and verse 16. We see three words there in 1 John chapter 4. Herein is love. God is love. The message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is a message of love. Mr. Moody was preaching for many years in uh, the, state of, uh, the state of Illinois in Chicago, and he, was, he kept preaching and preaching and preaching, and he had to go on a particular uh, travel, and he asked the young man to come and take his place. And Mr. Moody's wife sat in the audience, and Mr. Moody went off to somewhere else, some other state, to preach the gospel. And... Uh, he, he sent his wife a telegram or some little note, and he said, uh, how's that young man doing who's taking my place? It was just a young guy who took Mr. Moody's place. And Mr. Moody was just checking in. Is he preaching that message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? His wife said, that's very interesting, the message that he does preach. She said, uh, uh, dear, like, you've been preaching that God hates sinners. Mr. Moody's understanding was for a while that God hated sinners. God doesn't hate sinners. God loves sinners. He hates sin. And Mr. Moody said, well, well, what's the man preaching about? What could he have that's so powerful that has the audience suspended, as it were, at the edge of his, their chairs? That night after night, he keeps preaching the same message. His, his wife said, uh, he keeps preaching John chapter 3 and verse 16. 
And Mr. Cooper said, well, keep listening to him and you tell me if he changes his message. And a couple of weeks went by and he reached out to his wife again. His wife said, At every single night that man gets up behind the platform and he said, I searched the scriptures all day and I, and I spent time before the throne of grace in prayer and God showed me. John chapter 3 and verse 16. And I'm going to speak to you again about the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when you and I look at 1 John and chapter 4, I love it because those first words say, herein is love. The message of the gospel is so unique because God loved people who hated him. God loved people that were destined to outer destruction. God loved people that were perishing. God loved people that didn't do anything to deserve his love. Yet God looks down upon, or from heaven as it were, upon earth. The condemnation is set. None that doeth good, no, not one. The condemnation again is set again. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He elaborates in Romans chapter 6. All have sinned and fallen. Uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And man is there in their absolute ruin. And the remedy, if I use ours, we go with those. The ruin of man. The remedy comes in. And God looks upon a ruined race. And God says, all that I can offer is myself, my only son. Everything that heaven could muster. And the walls, of, as it were, the doors of mercy, they open up and they flood the earth with the gift God's son. That's the message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely unique. Here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We didn't love him, but he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, God looks down at Calvary and God is satisfied. Christ satisfied the work of paying for your sins once and for all. Hebrews says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down. A finished work. The work of salvation finally complete. He died on the cross. He was, he was raised between heaven and earth. Men put spikes in his hands and spikes in his feet. A centurion stood outside the, 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 the work of Calvary, the, the, the place where they crucified Christ, and the centurion wondered at what he saw. A callous man who had seen many sacrifices, uh, or many crucifixions. A man who had seen men uh, been drugged, dr uh, dragged as it were to a cross, and they're screaming and cursing man. And he watches, and the Lord Jesus Christ is brought there. And the cry goes out, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And the cry rises to the throne of heaven for the very first time in history. Crucify Him! And angels wonder. And the disciples stand there in awe that Christ is absolutely silent. And the centurion watches as they open up His back like a plowed field. His face unrecognizable as a man. Those are details, friend, that the Word of God shares with you and I. Those aren't my details. Isaiah prophesies unto us these truths. They opened his back. I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hairs. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. I know personally what it's like to be spit on. I don't know if I'm speaking to someone here who does not, but yeah. And it happened one time, but I'll never forget it. Never. And I had a guy come up to me right after a gospel meeting in downtown Chicago. Uh, everyone else seemed to listen really good. And he stood there, and he didn't say a word. And he went like this with his hand. And I thought for sure he was going to pound my hand. 
That's what guys do down there sometimes. They hear the gospel, they, they, they enjoy the message or something, they say, hey, good job, and they come to you, and they hit you, and they walk off. And he, he went like this, and I stuck my hand out, and he went, and he spat right here. I will never forget it. Never. It is the worst thing that has ever been done to me personally. I've had people put their hands on me. I've been bullied in high school. I've had people uh, surround me in my unsafe days and beat me to a pump. It wouldn't really matter. There was nothing worse. People speak behind my back, stab me. It doesn't matter. There was nothing worse than being spit on. It was absolutely degrading. Men spit on the ground. That day they spat on Christ. And what flew from the filthy sinner's lips, it crossed the chasm as it were, where angels were hovering. And it landed on Christ. Jesus did that for you. And he did that for me. The day I came to trust uh, in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, I became, as it were, that centurion that looked at that, that work in absolute awe. And he said, truly, this was the Son of Man. Truly, this man's unique. Truly, this is the Son of God. And he came to trust Christ. That day on August 19, 2001, I realized that the work of the cross was for me. That Christ Jesus died on the cross for Matt Heber, that he was buried in the ground, that he rose again the third day. He appeared unto many. He told people, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I love that he said that. I could picture him talking to disciples, and perhaps he's here with you and I, and he's saying, hey, listen, Dave, you go and tell the world about what I did for them. You find the man that pierced my hands, and you tell him I forgive him. You find that throne that spit on me and cursed my name, and you tell him that I forgave every one of their sins. You tell him, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Friend, the question today, and I've asked the question at sometimes of the meetings, and it's really another question I should have asked. I was just thinking about it as Brother Dave spoke. I've asked the question, the most important question, do you know where you're going? It's not the most important question. The most important question is, do you know Christ? Because there are individuals that say, yes, I'm going to heaven. And you, you come to that uh, sort of questionnaire and you start to talk to them and you find out, I'm going to heaven because I wrote out a, 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 a sort of checkbook to the church or I did good work and they've done many good things. But God says, not of your works as any man should boast. It's the grace of God that you're going to heaven. So the question not, is, is not tonight, do you know where you're going? Because you might uh, bring back a response that's actually false. You might think you're going to heaven based upon works. The question is, is, do you know Christ? Because, friend, if you know the Lord Jesus, if you know God's Son, if you know Him through, a, through, through, through faith in the Word of God, and you've come to trust that He died for your sins, past sins, the present sins of today, and all the future sins of your life, and you know that when you leave time and you enter eternity, you're going to heaven because of Christ, then you're going to heaven. That's what the truth of the Word of God is. It doesn't matter where we think we're going. It matters if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Not a question is if you go to church. Not a question if you've done good. Those things are all wonderful. But you need to have an understanding of who Christ is. And when Jesus is speaking in John chapter 3 and verse 16, He's speaking to a man that perhaps had an understanding of the Word, but he didn't know Christ. And I might take that up this past Sunday, this upcoming Sunday on the last night of the meetings. I asked the question today, do you know Christ? It's funny because uh, Dave and I were talking right before meeting, and I asked him uh, if he was coming out to dinner, and uh, he said, Matt, you know, some questions are hard to answer. Uh, this one's really easy to know. And I thought, uh, what struck me, actually, as you said it, and I don't know if you noticed, I actually went and wrote something down, but uh, 
The question is, do you know Christ? Very easy answer. It's either yes or it's no. It's very simple. There's never someone who says, well, I think I know. No, then you don't know him. You either know him, you have full confidence in him, and you're going straight to heaven because of that. We spoke to an individual last night, uh, and the man said to me, um, there's only one thing that I have a question with in the whole message. I enjoyed it. Uh, he said, uh, yes, he said he was, and you spoke about being rich, but I want to be filthy rich. I said, go right ahead. Don't let that come between you and God. You know Christ. I know many rich people, and they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, and He is first, not their riches. Don't ever question the two. But He said, uh, the question that I have in your message is you said from that pulpit, you addressed the crowd, you said, one can know 100% that they're going to heaven. 100%. He said, nothing is 100%. And I said, you're right. Nothing is. Nothing in our practical life is. Uh, our relationships aren't 100%. I will never give a Dave the relationship that he deserves uh, 100%. I'll fail him many times over and over again. My vehicle is not 100%. My career is not 100%. The riches that we have and we accumulate, those aren't 100%. But the God that we speak about is 100%. And there's nothing God ever said that he would do. And he did it sort of halfway there. And he just stopped and said, enough. No, when God said, it was. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God says, this verse here, that's Christ, that's God's Son. And God is saying, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, well, Matt, why do I need to be saved? Why do I need to know for sure uh, this person of the Lord Jesus? What, what is so important? Because the Bible says you and I are sinners. The Bible says we're born in sin. The Bible says we've fallen short in our sin. Not only that, the Bible says that your sin and my sin has found us out. If it hasn't found you out here, and man doesn't know about your sin, I'll guarantee you, through the Word of God, you see that in Hebrews in chapter 4, God knows your sin. The Word of God slices and dices and reveals the sin. Stuart Parnell, I don't know if you know that name, uh, but uh, he was head of a peanut corporation of America. And um, he's famous for three words. Just ship it. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Just ship it. Millions of containers of peanuts. And he hears through the grapevine that one has, uh, what is it, E. coli or whatever is very dangerous and harmful. And one is contaminated. And he looks at the entire portfolio. And he looks at all the wealth that would have been accumulated because of all the peanuts they were going to sell. And he said, well, that's just one little thing no one will ever know. Just ship it. And they shipped all the containers. A man named Jeff Almer, on Mother's Day, he sent Mr. Stewart a Mother's Day card. He filled it with perfume. He filled it with flowers. He had it all decorated up. And he said, I didn't know where to send this because mom is no longer here. But he said, I figured I'd send it to you because you know that you're the person that sent her to where she is. And she had died because of these peanuts. And it wasn't long after that that the press got a hold of everything else. And he was found out because of one jar of peanuts. His sin that he had in the closet for years. No one knew about this. All of a sudden it's brought out in the open. And it's revealed. And he's sentenced to 28 years in prison because of one little jar of peanuts. I ask you today, friend, it doesn't matter if you, uh, if, you know, if one person told me, Matt, you know what, I just do just a couple sins. Like I lie once in a while, I tell white lies, whatever those are. I maybe push my brother or sister, whatever it is. God says sin. Someone might come up to me and nothing shocks me anymore. And I have guys who come up to me and I had one guy actually confess a murder to me in downtown Chicago. Uh, God says sin. The murderer's sin. Hitler's sin. The, the little girl who pushed her brother, like my daughter pushes my younger son all the time. She's a sinner and she needs a savior. 
And the message of the gospel is how you need that, those words right there. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I don't have much time to go through what I had upon my heart. I just love John chapter 3 and verse 16. I had to touch it just for a moment. But let's just look together. If we don't touch anything else, let's just look together at this man that had a comfortless soul. Yesterday, we spoke about men. that uh, There are two souls we spoke about. A concerned soul, uh, a convicted soul, and a careless soul. Right? And we said that the audience uh, is on either one. There are those that are careless with their soul's condition, and there are those that are concerned with their soul's condition, and like Zacchaeus, come to Christ and trust Christ for all of eternity. Here in Luke chapter 18, we see a comfortless soul. No comfort in his riches, and he can't even give his riches away. And Christ knows the problem here. Christ knows the problem in your life. The Lord Jesus Christ knew the problem in my life. God knew my problem. My problem was friendships. My problem was partying. My problem was looking to my career and trying to finish school. And, and that was my entire focus. And God's calling, Matt, come. And I say, no, I'm not ready. And he's saying, come. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this man here, it says, a certain ruler, he comes to Christ and he says, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know what the answer is? Absolutely nothing. You can't inherit eternal life. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 is beautiful because that, friend, is the grace of God. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is grace. God's unmerited favor, giving us something that we never deserve. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not lest any man should boast. That's what the word of God is saying. We are not saved by our own works. It would be amazing for someone to come, uh, as it were, to the throne of heaven. And they would take all their works, like a big Santa bag, and they'd bring it there, and they'd say, God, look what I've done. Now, the Word of God teaches all your works are a putrefying source. They're absolutely wretched. They stink. And God would look at the work, and He'd say, you look at my work. Look to the Son. Look what Christ did for sinners. And He died on a cross to set you free. And you've come to me with filthy works. That's this man here. This man says, hey, listen. And I'm adjusting with the fan, but I'm just going to scroll here. Christ says to him, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not kill, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. So the man he's speaking to, this rich man, he's a good man. Uh, In our society today, uh, he's very well accepted. He might have the house on the hill and he's given to everyone. Or he's he's wealthy, he's got different things and, and he obeys the law right. He doesn't kill, he doesn't steal, he doesn't bear false witness. He's not spreading rumors about people. And this man tells him, all these have I kept from my youth up. The Lord doesn't tell him, no, he hasn't. The Lord just jumps into right into the detail. He pushes past the walls of pride that surround that man's heart, and he comes right in for the kill, as it were. As it were, where the rubber hits the road, and that car launches forward. This is what Christ says to him. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said us unto him, because he knows what's in his heart. He says, yet lacks thou one thing. You sell all that you have. You distribute unto the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and you follow me. And it says that the man heard this, and he was very sorrowful. And it says this, for he was very rich. Here it's not saying that rich people are not going to heaven. Here Christ is trying to say, it's hard for someone who's rich because he's holding on to all that valuable things. That he's looked at his life perhaps, and he said, I got this all my way. There's no one rich because they did it their way, friend. God in his grace allowed them to be rich. 
And he gave them wealth, as it were. And he might have worked hard for it. But this man, he's such a selfish person, he can't even give that up. And Christ is just going to show him here what the sole problem in his, in, is in his life. And I ask the question today, from the front of the room, right to the back, what is stopping someone tonight here tonight from coming to trust Christ? What is it in your life? You say, oh, man, I live a good life. That's wonderful. But look up, as it were, to the God of heaven with faith. You and I, friend, we're separated with God because of our sins. There's only one that bridged that gap. That's the mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus, and he bridged that on a cross. And he died for sinners. What is stopping someone tonight? What's the obstacle that that blocks your vision, as it were, of Christ, of Calvary? Maybe it's pride. That was part of my life, for 22 years of my life. Maybe it's uh, peer pressure of friendships. Maybe you think once I become a believer, I'll have to give up certain things. No, listen. Once you become a believer, you're supernaturally transformed. You're transformed out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. And you have new life, new birth. The Word of God comes alive and God directs your life. And you've got purpose for the very first time in your life. I didn't have a chance to touch number two. But number two, comfortless soul, that's the guy that's a rich man. Number two was a cherished soul. That's First John chapter 4. I ask you today, if I repeat those words, I'm going to repeat them and we'll just pray. Here they are. First John chapter 4. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the satisfaction for you and I. The propitiation for our sins. He sent His Son to sacrifice on the cross, to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and to overcome the power of sins in your life. Is that enough? It is. God says it. God is absolutely satisfied with Christ. And I ask the question, are you satisfied? Let's pray.